Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I would like to start, as I always do, reminding you to visit wealthformula.com. That's the home base for the Wealth Formula Podcast. And that's also where you can find all sorts of free resources for you to take advantage of that uh, you can't take advantage of just from listening to this show or watching this show on YouTube or whatever you're doing, including, of course, the opportunity to join us uh, in our accredited investor club if the term accredited investor indeed applies to you. Now, what is an accredited investor? Well, let's just remind you once again, an accredited investor is somebody who makes $200,000 a year for at least two years with a reasonable expectation of doing so in the future, or $300,000 if you are filing jointly or you have a net worth of $1 million outside of your personal residence. Now, there are a few other ways you can be accredited, you know, and you're going to have to look into this because I recently kind of got some confusion from one of our investors about this, uh, but I believe one of them is uh, the Series 65 uh, or something like that. But look into that one. But what I can tell you about is the money part. If you qualify in those terms uh, and you are interested in doing more than being a podcast listener and getting out the sidelines, making your money work for you for a change, uh, sign up for Investor Club at WealthFormula.com. Now, as far as today's show, it's a little different, right? We're going to talk to a young kid uh, and... I will tell you that, um, you know, I'm always fascinated by these stories of entrepreneurs showing early signs uh, or aptitude in the world of business um, when they're young. For example, you know, uh, for those of you who follow Warren Buffett, who know, you know, who know a little bit about his past. Well, you know, he's been this prodigy all his life and uh, apparently inspired by a book he checked out once from the Omaha Library at the age of seven called 1,000 Ways to Make $1,000. Of course, $1,000 was a lot of money back when Warren Buffett was seven years old. Now, he, of course, uh, went on to pursue several childhood businesses, ventures, uh, such as selling gum, uh, Coca-Cola, I think he had a newspaper route. And, of course, the rest is history as he uh, became one of the wealthiest and most successful individuals in the world via his company, Berkshire Hathaway. Now, stories like these attached to big name entrepreneurs are really fun to think about, right? I mean, you hear about them all the time. It's sort of the boy wonder prodigy kind of thing. And I certainly see some of my 
you know, my own children's friends with unusual enthusiasm for making money at a young age. And frankly, I can't wait to see what they do in the years ahead. I think they're, it's really fascinating. My kids actually are not so inclined right now, nor was I uh, at that age. But you know, the thing is that in reality, in my experience as an entrepreneur, amongst entrepreneurs, most of the time, that narrative of this childhood prodigy and, you know, always having this aptitude towards uh, making money, entrepreneurship and stuff. It isn't quite uh, that way for most entrepreneurs. I'm not saying that it isn't for a lot, but for the for, for most of the ones certainly that I know, it's not that way. What I have noticed is that most entrepreneurs stumbled their way into the world of business and surprised everyone around them, including themselves. And again, I'm one of those, uh, I'm definitely fitting the description on that. Uh, as I identify as an entrepreneur, of course, uh, who happens to be a doctor. Um, but if someone looked at my childhood trajectory, I don't think they would have guessed that I would end up doing what I did and starting businesses and you know, starting a real estate investing company and that sort of thing. For one thing, I was a good student who fit well into the professional track paradigm. And the only question uh, that someone might have had about me during high school or college is whether I would have ended up in law school, business school, or medical school. Uh, of course, I ended up in medical school. And the funny thing is, probably people in high school would have never guessed that. The idea of entrepreneurship during uh, high school, college, uh, even med school, never crossed my mind. It just was not on the menu, so to speak. You know what? I was just trying to figure out what kind of job I wanted. That's all, right? Now, it wasn't until I accidentally stumbled upon uh, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant back in 2008 that the idea of entrepreneurship ever crossed my mind, okay? I really just never thought about it as something for me. And when I read that book, uh, I did. And boy, did it. Boy, did it hit me. Like a, like a bolt of lightning. And listen, while I don't agree with everything that Robert Kiyosaki says these days, I do owe him uh, a tremendous debt of gratitude that apart from my parents who brought me into this world, I probably don't owe to anyone because he really changed the trajectory of my life in terms of my mindset. Now, speaking of mindset, once you're in the entrepreneurial mindset. You see opportunities everywhere. You know why? Because opportunities in entrepreneurship are simply about solving problems and inefficiencies in the system. If you can find an inefficiency or a problem and you can solve it, voila, you have a business. The funny thing is, though, that most entrepreneurs aren't reinventing the wheel. Uh, not surprisingly, most entrepreneurs do what I did. Uh, they learn a business from somewhere that they work uh, and have that moment of clarity when they think to themselves, you know what? I don't have to work for this guy. I'm doing all the work anyway, and I know this business. I can make a lot more money if I take over and I become the boss uh, so I'm going to start up my own shop, my own shop, and I guarantee you, guarantee that this is the number one on ramp to entrepreneurship. Now, 
The interesting thing is that the type of business an individual typically pursues uh, is often dumb luck. Let me give you a couple of examples to illustrate my point. You see, one of my buddies has a tile company that supplies a bunch of major retailers like Home Depot and stuff. And he does really well for himself. You know, he's making uh, several hundred thousand dollars a year, lives comfortably in a great, great place to live in this country. And listen, um, this is a guy who came from nothing. Really great story. Uh, and it's his story. And what, what what was his story, by the way? Oh, yeah, yeah, you guessed it. He worked for a tile guy who gave him all the responsibility uh, while he was out playing golf or whatever he was doing. And my friend learned the business and started his own shop. And bang, just like that, 10x what he was making because he became the boss. Now, another guy I know had a similar story, except in his case, his job involved something called energy arbitrage, which I can't don't really understand completely, but the idea is that the company he worked for bought energy from countries where costs were less, uh, energy costs were less, was cheaper, and sold it to countries where it was more expensive. And of course, that brokering came with a nice little commission on the trade. And that commission on the trade of like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, well, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, meaning millions of dollars per transaction. Well, one day this guy looked at his coworker uh, working in the cubicle next to him and said, you know what? We could do this by ourselves. And that's how we ended up an entrepreneur, right? Similar story, similar story. You just, you know, you learn the job, you learn the business on the job. Next thing you know, you become the boss. However, lucky for him, his job gave him the inside knowledge to execute a business that was quite a bit more lucrative than tiles or medicine. And you know what? He didn't work any harder than the rest of us. And I don't think he was any smarter than the rest of us. He was just in the right place at the right time with the right mindset. So when I think about these guys and myself, I can't help but think how random fortunes can be in both sense of the word fortunes. I also think to myself, is there a way is there a way to systematize this seemingly arbitrary reality of fate so that we can better guide our children into something that, you know, hopefully they love, but also, you know, makes them wealthy so they don't have to live off of us the rest of their lives? Well, based on what I've seen and my experience, uh, the advice that I have for any young person looking to find their way or their jackpot is to get as much exposure to life as possible. Being very narrow, very young, is not uh, necessarily a recipe uh, to, to tremendous success later. You know, college teaches you some things. It certainly does. And, you know, medical school taught me a lot too. But for most people, it is probably the case that the best thing that happened to them about college is the people they met, right? College graduates are not necessarily equipped to do very much, but, you know, having a network, finding other people and successful people to be colleagues with, that kind of thing, it's really important. So what I suggest personally, based on my experience for college students who are graduating, is that to think of those first few jobs uh, after school as paid education. In other words, you know, don't think of them as work, 
right? And try to find the one that pays the most. You know, you got to find the one that you're going to learn the most useful information, learn the business, right? And when you feel like you've learned as much as you're going to learn, then move on. Or, uh, you know, if you think that that's a business that you want to do on your own, maybe it's time to give it a shot. But that's probably not going to happen right away. Listen, not everyone aspires to be filthy rich, but anyone who has an interest in entrepreneurship should also make sure that the business that, the business that they're going to sort of rip off and make their own be lucrative, right? After all, like I said before, you know, working harder does not equate to being more wealthy or having more money or a more successful business. Sometimes it's just what you learned and what you learned was based on circumstance. Now, I have three little girls. The oldest one is only 12. And, um, you know, given my own interest in entrepreneurship and investing, people ask me often what I'm doing to provide them a financial education. And you know what? Uh, sure, we talk about money once in a while. I explain taxes to them uh, by taking away half their ice cream and saying I'm the government, that kind of thing. But uh, you know what? the best thing I can do right now for them is to simply encourage them to learn as much about different things as possible. After all, again, whether it's solving a problem and turning it into a business as most entrepreneurs do or finding the best investments, it all comes down to having broad exposure to as many possibilities as possible. So speaking of children, I thought uh, this would be a good time uh, to uh, introduce to you uh, the podcast guest for the day, who is 18 years old. Uh, he is a self-proclaimed entrepreneur and investor. His name is Jack Rosenthal, and you are going to hear my conversation with him when we come back. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast, a little different. He is an 18-year-old uh, kid. He's in a, 
investor and entrepreneur, and he's the author of Teen Investing, which is available on Amazon. His name is Jack Rosenthal. Uh, Jack also started the Young Investors Club, LLC, uh, which is at younginvestorsclub.org, which he's grown from zero members to over 90 members uh, today and has $120,000 of assets under management. Jack, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. So, uh, Jack, tell us a little bit about how you became an entrepreneur and investor. Yeah, totally. So, uh, so where to begin? So, I think the best place to start would be with the Young Investors Club. I started that when I was 14, my freshman year of high school. And mm-hmm. yeah, like you mentioned, I started with just one member, me. Um, and I grew that club to eventually becoming the largest teen investing club in the country that I'm aware of. Um, we started off the club that year with zero members, just me, grew to 20 members that year with over 20,000 in assets in the club. And then we kept growing year after year. Finally, junior year, I think we were up to about $40,000 in assets and close to 40 members. I was like, you know what? I have something pretty cool here, but I want to take this thing to be the largest. So I grew it that year. We like tripled in size that year. And by the end of that year, we had close to a hundred members and over $120,000 in assets in the club, uh, making us the largest that I'm aware of teen investing club in the country. Yeah, what got you interested in this? I mean, what, uh, you know, you're 14 years old. Uh, when I was 14, I was really just interested in, you know, sports and things like that. What, what, sports, what sports and girls, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. So, First of all, I was interested in the same, same two things. Yeah, I was just also yeah. interested in investing. And I always had a passion for it outside of school. Just every single kid, I think, has their kind of their hobby, their, their sport, their passion. Whether some kids really like playing chess. Other kids just want to play basketball. And you just see them out there on the hoop all day long. And all they want to do is just shoot basketballs. My passion, my sport has always been entrepreneurship and investing. Um, so when I was 14, but it started way before that, I had my own investment portfolio. I've been investing in the stock market for a while. And basically what I was doing is I was looking for a way that I can invest alongside other teenagers. We could all invest together in a pool of money, make investment decisions together collectively, and hopefully grow the, uh, the pot together. So that's really what initially gave me the, uh, the drive to start the club. And then in order how I started the club, it's like, Believe me, it's no easy task to get 20 kids to sign up and for them all to put in $1,000. Much sure. more difficult. And there's only so many kids that are interested in investing, not to mention kids that actually have money to invest. So the way that we did that is we partnered with a much larger organization. It took me six months of convincing this much larger group, which was actually a parent network, which I knew obviously had a lot of teenagers in it because through the parents. And we, after six months of going through hurdles and decision makers, we finally got approved to be basically on their platform. And they sent out an email blast promoting the club to their members. And that's how we grew to 20 members the first year. Um, and then the final year, this junior year, when I really expanded the club, we expanded outside of New York. So we said, okay, we're going to do this for basically all up and down the East Coast. And that's really how we grew the, uh, the club tremendously. You know, you talk a little bit about your background, not only as, you know, the investing part, but uh, as an entrepreneur. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've done, uh, as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So in addition to investing, obviously, where do you get the money to invest in the first place? Well, you got to create it through my case, through entrepreneurship. Um, so let's see, I started my first business when I was six years old. 
selling paper airplanes over the internet, coolpaperplanes.com, which has had oh, over wow. 50,000 visitors uh, since. And we, that's because we got a great domain name back then when I was six, when the sure. internet was much more new. So started that business. We sold 70 airplanes, made $1 each on each airplane. So 70 bucks. But when I was six, I was like, whoa, got more yeah, money yeah. than the other six-year-old I know. Um, so I was six. And then I started a vending machine business when I was... I want to say 11 or 12 or something. And I ran that for three years. That was a great business. Um, every weekend I would make 50 bucks collecting mm-hmm. candy in that machine and their snacks and taking out the money. Sure. And so I made 50 bucks every weekend for three years running that business. Um, I also did a online lending thing through something called prosper. The way that that worked is my dad lent me $1,000 at a 1% interest rate, which was the same rate the bank was paying him. So it was no different giving me the money versus giving it to the bank. Sure. Basically I, basically, I went on this website called Prosper, where I could make peer-to-peer loans and relend it out to other people in small increments. So I relend it out at like a 7 or 8% interest rate, uh, borrowed okay. at a 1%, kept the spread, and then we did the same thing with $5,000. And then I had like $370 a year coming in. So those were some smaller kind of entrepreneurship things I did when I was younger. And then when I got older, obviously got a little bit smarter and started to make some more money, yeah. yeah. bigger businesses. Uh, I started like an eBay business, which did really well. Started an Etsy business where I think I made like a few thousand dollars in just one month alone selling products on Etsy, a whole bunch of different online e-commerce mm-hmm. and, uh, consulting businesses that I've run throughout the years. Are your parents entrepreneurial? Yeah. So my dad is an entrepreneur. He's a finance guy. He started a uh, investment company. And, you know, it's funny, we were talking about a different podcast, mm-hmm. but he really had a great strategy in terms of teaching me how banking worked at such a young age. I basically became like a bank when I was 10 years old, when yeah. I was doing the Prosper thing, lending, borrowing the money from depositors, my dad in this case, and then relending right. it out to others, keeping that spread. I was basically becoming my own little mini bank. And he was teaching me how the financial system worked through actually doing it. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great. I was just thinking that myself. That's a great way to teach that. So my audience, uh, you know, we get a lot of investors or they're not kids typically, although there might be some, some children of, of listeners. And I know they're thinking to themselves when they listen to you, you know, I would love to get my kids somehow interested in financial education at all. Right. So obviously you're, you're in the business of doing that. I mean, that your latest business is, a, you know, basically, you know, this investor club. So any thoughts for parents on how to get their kids interested in financial education in general? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing you say is like online resources, education. And one of the biggest ones I'd say is honestly my book, Teen Investing. I mean, it's written by a teenager for teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some other teen investing books out there. But as far as I'm aware of, it's one of the few ones that's actually written by a teenager. And not to mention a teenager with as much investing experience as me, who's that experience like running a club, managing real $100,000 plus in assets, trading in the stock market. So yeah, that's definitely one of my biggest things. If I get a book from a teenager that's actually done investing before to hopefully help inspire a teenager to start investing if they haven't already, or continue to grow their investment portfolio and get better returns uh, if they've already started on a small scale. So online education, books, I recommend all of it. Um, what what kinds of online um, education out, outside of your YouTube channel are, do you use for your you know for for educating yourself? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I like Graham Stephan. I think he's a cool cool dude. You ever hear Who's that, that guy? Graham yeah. Stephan? He's got like three million subscribers on YouTube. 
super nice. I think you could tell he's like a genuine person. He doesn't just constantly want to push like his course or something like that. He actually wants to provide value. He has a course too, but he doesn't like, mm-hmm. it's not the whole goal of his channel is not to try and push its course. It's to educate others. And then he has a course on the side. Um, so I like, I like what he's doing there. Uh, let's see. I love Charlie Munger. And, um, and then there's also My neighbor. He's your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. He lives about a mile away from me. I see small world, place. small That's, world. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I love, I love those. those mm-hmm. people. And I think what's really cool is through the internet, you can basically learn from these people without even, as he said, he's your neighbor, but I live all the way here in New York <laughs> and I'm still able to learn from him just as much as you can. Yeah. Well, that's great. And then, um, when you, you know, right now, obviously, um, you know, you have your own influences from your father and his financial firm. Um, when you think of investing, what does that mean to you? Does that mean stocks? Does that mean equities then? Oh, is that pretty much what you're focused on? That's what, that's what it's meant to me so far. And that's because it's the easiest for a teenager to get involved in sure. Something like real estate or a different asset class. Mm-hmm. Try doing a real estate transaction when you're 16. You'll find of course. there are so many different yeah. problems with that. Although you did use Prosper, which is, I would consider, you know, an alternative. Definitely. For- definitely. Mm-hmm. And what's so cool is, yeah, it's so simple. Even when I, a 10 year old can do it. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, that was like online, you know, online making loans, online doing as the stock market, just through an online trading account. You know, when you start going outside of that, where it's like offline, then it gets a lot more complicated to do as a younger person. So yeah, the main reason why I've been so involved in that is just because it's the only thing that I could do up until I was 18 years old. I just recently turned 18, like six months ago. So I've only wow. been, uh, wow. I've only congratulations been on that. <laughs> uh, so tell us what's your personal investing philosophy? What do you yeah. invest in one and why? So I invest primarily in the stock market. Most of my money is in the stock market. Um, a lot is in the S&P 500. Great asset to invest in, especially I used to do like kind of more month to month stock trading. Like, lately, I haven't had a lot of time with that. I've been kind of busy with other projects. So I just leave in the S&P, which has produced a return of 8 to 10% every year for the last 50 years and probably will for the next 50 years. And I got a long time horizon on me, so I can afford to wait. Yeah, I got a lot of money in the S&P 500. I also invested in Blackstone, Amazon, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, a ton of other great companies that I really like. Got it. And how do you how do you decide on? Well, obviously, you you know, if you're doing the S and P, you're buying the market. How do you decide on the individual companies? What are you doing there? Are you looking at what are you looking at? Are you looking at their you know PE ratios and those types of things? Or are you kind of just going in reputation? Or how are you doing it? Yeah. So. The biggest thing that I'm looking for is companies that I think are going to be around for the next 30 years. I really care about just what's the long-term value of this company. Amazon's a great example. Yeah, I know it's like the blue chip stock and everyone's like, oh, Amazon's so simple. But if I really had to say companies that I think are going to be here for the next 30 years, Amazon dominates e-commerce. I think over 50 cents of every dollar spent on e-commerce in the United States goes to Amazon. That's a powerful number. And that e-commerce retail market is only getting bigger and bigger. I think it only represents like one or 2% of the total retail market right now. I think there's a future where it could represent 50% of the U.S. retail market e-commerce. And if Amazon's in a position where they're controlling half of that, that's a $10 trillion company, not just a $2 trillion company. So, so I think that Amazon and companies like that that are really going to be around for the next 20, 30, 50 years, those are the kind of stocks I like to buy. 
And then, of course, the second thing is trying to get them on a good price, you know, trying to find some kind of news event that's happened really soon, which has caused the stock price to get down a little bit. That way you can, uh, it, it kind of limits your risk to the better price you're getting in on the stock. And then also gives you more upside, mm-hmm. of course. Got it. So what's next for you? Are you a senior now? So no, I'm a freshman in college. Um, oh, you're a freshman in college. Freshman in college. And let's see. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is I just wrote this book, Teen Entrepreneurship. I wrote that a month ago while I was in college. I wrote that book. It took me a month and a half to write the book, start to finish, which you'll find for a lot of other authors. They spend years writing their book. Uh, they spend, ten, I think, $10,000 minimum for publishers and everything like that. And basically, it's like the whole thing with overproduction and, um, and they mm-hmm. spend way too long on writing these books. I've seen it happen so many times with the authors. And they very rarely ever break a profit because they get sold this dream by publishers. I managed to write that book, this, this book that I actually have right here. Uh, you can kind of see it with the Zoom. And I managed to write it in a month and a half. Uh, did not cost me $10,000 plus or anywhere near that to write the book. And uh, yeah, we'll likely recoup a lot, basically all the money I spent <laughs> writing the book within like the next month or so. And then the first book, Teen Investing, that's, I mean, what's funny is these books kind of become like a business. I mean, the teen investing book, that's done so well in the teen investing category. Every month now, I get passive income coming in from that book. And sure. that book itself has become a, a really nice, yep. strong business. So these two books are some, some of my latest passion projects and some of my latest projects. And yeah, now I'm looking to uh, just continue to grow the sales of this book, Teen Entrepreneurship. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can sell a lot of copies by being on your podcast today. <laughs> um Let's see. And, and in terms of, uh, you know, do you want to be an economics major and, and finance, finance, finance major. major? Good. Sounds good. Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? You know, it's interesting. I, I've read like the synopsis. So I'm very well aware of the whole idea of like, okay, the yeah. guy's got the rich dad who's the uh, real estate mm-hmm. investor. He doesn't have, doesn't have a nine to five job. And he's got his real dad. I, and I got the whole idea. So I haven't read the book, but I'm very well aware of the story. Yeah. Um, so no, I haven't read the book, but I know what the book is about. Yeah. Well, I will recommend it to you. I know there is this, uh, there is a little bit of a uh, schism between the traditional financial people and, and people who are, um, you know, sort of uh, followers of Robert Kiyosaki like I was, but certainly I have met more uh, self-made multimillionaires who were followers of Robert Kiyosaki than probably anybody else on earth, uh, including myself. So uh, I would recommend that to I pretty much recommend that to anybody who's just getting started. Um, and let's, let's, uh, let's go over where let's, you've got the book. How do we find the YouTube channel? So, okay. You can find my YouTube channel by going under my name, my alias on YouTube. I started the channel when I was 17 years old. So I did it under a different name. That's hence the confusion. So I ran that channel under a name called Jimmy Duke, J I M M Y space Duke. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my alias that's my second okay. name i when i was yeah. 17 i just didn't want to create i don't know i didn't want to put my own oh, name I hear and yeah i think it's actually common a lot of parents don't really want their sure. kids name on the internet so i started that channel when I was 17 so anyway the channel is jimmy duke got it jimmy duke and then the book is called teen investing available on amazon did you have one on entrepreneurship too yeah so teen investing on amazon and teen entrepreneurship on amazon and you can search find both those by just searching my name jack rosenthal J-A-C-K-R-O-S-E-N-T-H-A-L. Great, Jack. Well, nice to have you on Wealth Formula Podcast. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate uh, being here and talking to your audience. Hopefully they got to know a little bit more about me and 
here at Teenage Perspective on investing and entrepreneurship. And I'm sure many of them are parents. So hopefully some of the things that I've done, they can kind of pass on to their own teenagers. And yeah. Um, and yeah. Absolutely. Good for you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jack. As a change of pace from what we typically do, I think the next couple of weeks we are going to probably be doing some Ask Buck episodes. So uh, if you haven't had a chance, go to wealthformula.com uh, and uh, you know record your question. If you need to be anonymous, that's okay. Uh, you can also send um, me a question simply by emailing buck at wealthformula.com. And if you get it in time, you'll get into the next couple of shows because I think we usually have quite a few questions and uh, and we'll be uh, doing a couple of those Ask Buck shows. Now, uh, getting back to Jack, you know, one of the things that came to mind for me while I was talking to him that it is, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I hear from a lot of people uh, when I talk to, you know, for example, our, our group, our Wealth Formula Network, group, uh, whenever we get on the subject of kids or when you hear about this in the, you know, the whole financial education space, we always say, hear people say, you know, you just don't learn anything and, uh, you don't learn anything in, in school about investing and money and that kind of thing. And, you know, they really ought to teach this stuff in school. Well, the one thing I will say is, while I agree that some things really ought to be mandatory, like say, you know, accounting, macroeconomics, things like that, there is an old Confucius saying that says, be careful what you wish for. Uh, and I point this out simply because almost certainly the Wall Street paradigm would quickly find its way into the core curriculum of our children if uh, if if uh, financial education became part of uh, some sort of standard uh, education. And I very much doubt that alternatives such as real estate or anything else that we're doing would make it into the textbooks. Anything that uh, doesn't have an a, a, assets under management fee probably uh, wouldn't make it into the textbook. So I would just say that if you do have your children start teaching themselves about financial education with online resources and books, parental discretion is advised. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, this is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.